Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode 478 on Monday, the 13th of June. How is it that already? Uh, 2022. Hello, I'm Alan. Hello, I'm Andrew. And this week, we'll be noting how quickly the government has reacted to something they were told was going to happen several months ago. We investigate possible new costs to Scottish drivers, and we try to cut through those rose-tinted technical glasses. Straight into new news. And it's not great news. It's been all over the main news. It is a little bit of a building on last week's news. Yes. It is, it's not quite follow-up, but it's not quite new. Yeah, and that is the the story that everybody knows is fuel prices continue to rise. In, Yay! In oh, no, the opposite. In fact, Ooh. last week there was the uh, rise of 2p in the same day, <laughs> which mm-hmm. was quite objectionable, I have to say. We're now, a typical 55-litre family car will cost around about £100, probably just a bit more <sighs> to fill up. Yes, yes it will. Uh, worth mentioning as a little bit of kind of follow-up from last week in that uh, it was pointed out to us by Ant Brown that when Andrew was going on about price gouging last week and saying that, well, okay, so this, so we've had fuel hit this number of dollars per barrel of Brent crude in the past, what we haven't had at the same time is the pound plunging against the dollar. So the combination of the high dollar price of a barrel and the very low pound against the dollar it is one of the things that is causing this fun situation we've got at the minute. I was trying not to use the term perfect storm because I hate it and normally want to punch people who say things like that. Yeah, don't use that. Yeah, it's bad. There is an article linked in the show notes from Autocar. Also, they go on and explain a bit more about what, um, how the fuel price is made up and everything. I did note that petrol retailers were trying to distance themselves from these price rises, as in saying they aren't the big oil companies. They are usually franchise or independent companies who do this. Mm. I agree with that to a small degree. However, there are very large franchises that do walk into towns, undercut the opposition, and then hike yeah. their prices anyway. So I think the term is stagecoach it. <laughs> my my sympathy is limited in in their in their front. Yeah. But anyway, we're going to go on to the next news. And as I ask Hamish if he's had his tea, uh, I'll move <laughs> over to our Scottish correspondent. Yes, the government that can't even build a ferry and that has fallen out with all of the train drivers, decimating the train schedules, uh, thereby making public transport in Scotland far less good than it might be, uh, has made a proposal that drivers could pay to use Scotland's roads. So the aim is to discourage car use. I mean, goodness knows how people across rural Scotland, which is most of Scotland are actually going to get around, get about, if that's the case. Oh, it's easy. It's easy, Alan. They'll use the trains that there isn't the problem with the strikes uh, or the bus yeah. service that isn't in the hands yeah. of just one operator. Yeah. And also, it's not like there is a huge fuel rocketing price anyway on top of any other suggestion they've got. Exactly. But it's all right, because in order to do that, what they're going to do is they're going to improve the road infrastructure. Oh, no, they're not going to do that either, are they? Because they've run out of money. Yes, quietly not telling people when they will do things rather than admitting they've got no cash. Yes. Uh, but also, if they they have made it clear in the future to make any improvements to road infrastructure, they will have to pass some very tight criteria, inclu- which mm. will have to include things like improved safety. 
and stuff like mm. that. But oh, this just, you know what? If one was uh, leaning towards the idea that governments are trying to control population movements, if one were, and I've seen a few people go down that route, and I'm not one of these, by the way, but I, there's plenty of things I will hold my hand up to going down rabbit holes. This is not one of them at the moment. But yet you can see why why do you want to control the movement of your people so much in such a way that means so many of them cannot actually get around and do what they need want to do, let alone need to do. I think you are mistaking incompetence for evil. Okay. And I'm very much I mean they're evil, but they're way more incompetent than they're evil. The Scottish government and, and the Scottish Na- National Party only have one thing uh, that they can campaign on at all, and that is uh, Scottish independence. And that's it. Everything else is secondary to Scottish independence. Actually, you know, having, sorry, we're going to go down a political rabbit hole here, actually having things like a functioning education service, which used to be the best of the whole of the UK. Now, complete rubbish now. Any of these things anything like that health service the lot nhs used to work perfectly in scotland not anymore it doesn't because it's the only thing they care about is independence and this is here we go this is transport getting dragged deeper and deeper into it it's like the scottish built fairies uh if you want to know more about that private eye for goodness knows i think about the past five years uh, about this um this is an extra layer of just tra- of just traffic incompetence and it's hitting the motorist even harder than 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 before what we do have to say though because the smp are in a coalition with the greens it is elements of what the scottish greens have demanded for their part of the partnership which is even more stringent discouragement of car use is the quote that's uh, used in this uh, msn article that we've linked to that's mm. taken was originally taken from the telegraph you can read through more of that. It uh, it just brings home again the problem that always comes out whenever this sort of story comes along is it sounds okay-ish to people who live in large urban areas. Oh, people in Edinburgh love it because Edinburgh's an awful place to have a car anyway. Yeah. However, what happens for all the rest of the people, particularly those who live in rural areas, who have to have a car to get around? And they're, they're never, and I'm still waiting for an answer on how to fix that. Yeah, and that's the same in England as well. Yes, yeah, absolutely. That is not just a that is <laughs> not a Scottish specific one. That. <laughs> Meanwhile, in France, though, on the same story, by the way, France is confirm, has confirmed that it's going to supply extra aid for frequent drivers to combat fuel prices. Yeah. Um, so, yes. Is there an election on by any chance? Um, I, yes, I, I thought it was over to be perfectly honest. I did actually think the election was passed, but there must be more levels. Oh yes. More details are set to be re- revealed after the legislative ad- elections on June the 12th and 19th. So the answer is yes, Andrew. <laughs> right. I am going to take us to, uh, a story about Volvo tipper trucks and the mm. first two in the UK have been bought by Fox Group, which is based in Leyland. And they have started using it, centering on their their base in Leyland to do local deliveries and collections. Um, they have a 93-mile range. They are plated to 27 tonnes, 
which mm-hmm. is apparently a ton more than the standard three axle rigid. That's because of the battery weight. Fox Group in this uh, Move Electric article, Paul Fox, who is the managing director of Fox Group, is incredibly positive about using electric trucks and everything. And there's some really interesting quotes. They have driven it quite a way to get the picture at Blackpool, to be fair, from their pace. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've said before about Volvo and, and electric trucks and stuff. Lots of stuff on their Volvo Trucks YouTube channel. Lots of videos about that kind of stuff, including it's a 54-minute long video there about the leap, how to go electric, and lots of information there about their, their EV ranges. Mm. Sorry, if I finish ner- nerding out on this kind of stuff. Yeah, this is interesting, and it is an important step. Again, it obviously helps if you are able to use it in a local environment mm. and it fits with your local stuff because at the minute obviously the battery tech is not quite there to, for them to be doing huge swathes of the country well loaded yeah no you want to be doing sort of depot based yeah uh, as we've said before we've said that about so many things yeah yeah do you want to take us back to france though but, but carefully please yes while sticking exactly to the speed limit so i'm told that if you receive a speeding fine in france then you receive the notice and it says what speed you were doing and how much above the speed limit you were. And then there is a calculation based upon that to build in what it believes is the margin of error for that camera, which then lessens the number of kilometers now you possibly were above the speed limit. And then your fine is commensurate to the number of kilometers now above the, above the speed limit in segments, I'm told. Whenever they whenever they hit those, they they change those extra urban uh, speed limits in France. I I it maybe hit me. That was quite an expensive holiday. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, to get around that, then they are then in France they are trialing a new super precise quote unquote uh, speed camera. In fact, it's not just that they've been trialing it, it's now been approved for use. It is called a Nano Parifex. Uh, It's a tiny little box on top of an existing camera. It is made by a French company, Quelle Surprise. Uh, Sorry, that's not the name of the company, by the way. (laughs) Uh, And it has a LiDAR 3D 360-degree scanning technology, according to this article from Connexion. Yes, it it's removing the at least five kilometers an hour margin for error. Uh, so the idea is that it will be more accurate. It will measure your speed over a longer distance, not just at a single point in time. Don't believe it'll be that accurate. In theory, it can also, no, I mean, neither. Uh, it can also analyze a host of other driving errors, such as crossing continuous white lines, not respecting stop signs and stopping distances. It is the ultimate snitch at the side of the road, by the sounds of it. Is this like average, they're creating like an, you could, in theory, create like an average speed network with additional additional rules added someone so, how are they someone, doing that some, over a someone somewhere will be will be working that one out I, I don't know i don't know it could also in theory be used to check cars jumping red lights as part of a government policy to cut down on this i've never really noticed that maybe just particularly law-abiding parts of france france likes a uh an income a speed camera <laughs> and this doesn't really and an income uh, and this doesn't this this looks like it it could help that Obviously, if you know how to spot a traditional uh, French speed camera, then that will be helpful uh, in spotting these. Um, so, yes, let's let's see what happens. 
I think the say what we say every time about speed cameras is you just don't exceed the speed and yes, you dry up their income. Exactly, and then they'll get rid of them or something. Yeah. Uh, thank you to uh, listener Drew Faulkner for pointing us in this direction. Actually, yes, this interesting. Is a good one. Thank you, Drew. Despite my my, my dislike for it, yes, uh, yes, we don't like the topic, but we like the fact. <laughs> yes, that we, we love that it. you sent us the article. Thank you. <laughs> CarPlay, Andrew. Yes. Most of the internet went very gooey over Apple CarPlay reveal last week. Didn't all go gooey. I think you're being slightly unfair over the gooeyness there. Well, unless it's G-U-I, of course, rather than (laughs) G-O-O-E-Y. No, I I wasn't, but uh, we'll we'll take that. (laughs) During the developer conference that they had last week, they revealed a possible version of or possible options on their new CarPlay. Now, bear in mind, sorry, very quickly, can we bear in mind, the speech and presentation was part of the developer conference. That does not mean that stuff shown was shown in its final form. Very often these things are mentioned at the developer conferences, they're shown off there so that people can start thinking about how they can refine the idea rather than saying, this is it, ta-da, look at the new product. Exactly. This was showcasing what Apple thinks their CarPlay could do if car manufacturers decided to integrate it into their system. And it is much more far-reaching than the current version, which is effectively a different infotainment operating system. Yes. This is all about getting into what the car is doing, displaying that information, as well as having the possibility of things like widgets and everything, because one of the pictures in this uh, motion research article shows a full-width digital screen with lots mm-hmm. of information on that is obviously horrific from a user perspective, yeah. but I am not just blaming Apple for that. I am blaming all the manufacturers who seem to think what we need is more screens on the inside of our car. Yes, and that was a good point. That was a point that was made by many people, this is what might be possible. It is not saying you will need a massive screen the width of your car. No, exactly. Now, there's a couple of points from this which I think have not really been explored. One of which was I thought that Apple was very clever in the way they demonstrated this. On the one hand, they have said, oh, look what's possible, which, as we know, a lot of people then go, great, I want that. Mm. And the other thing is, they said, is some manufacturers could use this, and they named a bunch of manufacturers, which makes it very hard for those said manufacturers to now turn around and go, uh, actually, I'm sure we they do will have not been man- want that integration. But they were saying could. Mm. And because the a level of integration here is basically giving up so much of what the car is doing to Apple. Now, I have, if anyone who's listened to the show for ages knows, I have thought the Apple car is absolute clickbait nonsense. However, they get this installed on cars across the world. They don't have to do so much research because the info will just come to them. I think any manufacturer that allows the full integration of this is insane. Sorry, I'm just watching listeners point out uh, at this point that you're in rant mode not quite I'm, I'm much calmer than i was last week yes he is by the way he is much calmer than he was last week this is this is almost reasoned and thought through as opposed to did you see the blah, 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 blah. 
that, that I was subjected to. I have the same problem with Google being tied into cars as well. Oh yeah, this isn't this isn't Apple specific. Everyone, just just so you're aware, this isn't CarPlay specific. I I think car man if car manufacturers allow that, they they are giving up their business. I think that's maybe a little bit exaggerated, but I do understand that there is a danger of it. Yes. Yes, and I'm sure that they will do too. I mean, if we do, I mean, we're not exactly the brightest bulbs in the box. So if we realize that, then you would imagine that the manufacturers would as well. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, the trouble, of course, is that the success of CarPlay to work does often depend on the quality of the hardware behind it. Hmm. Hmm. Anyway, hypothetically. Yeah. Do you want to take us to another tech story? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) This one, JLR are integrating what three words into their sat-nav and their navigation systems in their cars. Uh, so you too can can narrow your your location down to possibly a number of three meter by three meter squares within a certain area, or possibly not even in vaguely the nearest area. Because yes. uh, what three words does have a number of, a number of challenges. It's, it's, it's a clever idea, uh, but the implementation does leave some some fun possibilities uh, in terms of mispronunciation, wonky algorithms, and all sorts of bits and pieces like that, doesn't it? What doesn't help, and what, what I can't believe, is there are these very well-known issues, mm. and Jaguar Land Rover are having to pay to implement one three words because it is yeah. they charge a license fee for their proprietary system. <laughs> Whereas mm. GPS does not charge that, <laughs> and I, I, I am honestly at a loss to understand why this is being put in. Because what will happen is people will find these mistakes through use, mm-hmm. and they will go to the wrong places. Some of them may be close-ish, some of them may be miles away. But they'll blame JLR for it, and they will turn round and they will say, "Dear Land Rover, dear Jaguar, that's your fault, not what three words." And I, I, I just can't believe they've not looked into this more, thought it through more, and just gone, no, we're not having that. Yeah. Yeah. They they have a reputation for struggling with reliability. They don't need to add a, another layer of problems on top of what they're already trying to fix. Yeah, yes, I, I did suggest one of the useful ones might be, might, might be motorway hard shoulder. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, thank you to everyone who liked that particular yeah. tweet. So yes. if anyone from J- JLR is listening, so go and have a word with whoever's made this decision and quietly backtrack on it for your own good. At the same time, there will be another couple of articles just to back up what Andrew's been saying uh, linked via the show notes. Yep. Okay, uh, one last bad news story uh, before the break. Yes, uh, this is the <laughs> this is the bad news that unfortunately uh, Westfield Sports Cars has gone into receivership after thirty nine I think it's thirty nine years uh, in existence where they first of all started out with doing very close replications of the Lotus Seven which then meant that they ended up in court against Caterham and lost unfortunately so they had to change significantly change their the look of their vehicles, which they did do. That's why they always looked like a knockoff Caterham, was because Caterham had actually bought all the rights to the Lotus 7. Yeah, but they then went down a more extreme route when it comes to their vehicles. So things like they threw in a V8 into, <laughs> into their SEI model, which 
sounds insane in something so mm. small and light and without electronic aids to keep you on the road. <laughs> Um, but then they also went down the sort of similar route to Radical, where they did the Westfield XTR, which looked fab. I would imagine was uh, tricky to handle on tracks, etc. Uh, yeah. Like all those cars look. <laughs> to be fair, hopefully a buyer can be found. Otherwise, mm-hmm. it sounds like from because there are a lot of people who are, are big fans of Westfield and what they've done. Yeah, I, I think the challenge. I think with some of the Westfield stuff, like the, especially the, the lightweight two seaters, mm. uh, was the, it's actually relatively easy to build your own kit car, which is very similar to that. And if you're the kind of person who is going to build a kit car of something very, very light with a ridiculous engine in it, you would probably just build it yourself. Mm rather than starting from a kit. Uh, the other thing they did, by the way, was they, they did spin off uh, and they had Westfield Autonomous Vehicles. If you've ever been the pods at Heathrow at Terminal 5 that goes from pod parking into the terminal, then those actually are Westfields mm. as well. Yep. Even less suspension than the road-going ones. <laughs> so sad news there, unfortunately. Yes, yes, very sad. That brings us to Guilt Minutes. And this is the last time, everyone, because the conference is happening on Wednesday that we're going to remind you about the MOVE conference, about the future of mobility, which, as I say, will be taking place in London on Wednesday and Thursday, the 15th and 16th of June. The combined conference and exhibition will cover all sorts of topics that we regularly talk about on the Motoring Podcast, including electric cars, autonomous cars, security, regulation and liability, future fuels, business models, and much more. We're going to be there on the 15th. I'm going to be hosting two panels, but one of them is titled All These EV Targets, Where's the Charging Infrastructure?, And on that, I'm going to be joined by Katie Black, head of the UK's Office for Zero Emission Vehicles, Daniel Tibble, Director of Data Science and Analytics of the connected vehicle data company Weijo, and Hui Zhuang, the Vice President for Europe of EV company NEO. Uh, No pressure there for the podcast hobbyist. Uh, If you'd like to see that and the rest of the conference in person, then we still have a limited number of free guest passes for our listeners. You can find the link to register for those, as well as a linked entire conference schedule in this week's show notes. Uh, Obviously, all the usual ways to to support us remain available to you and can be found at (laughs) motoringpodcast.com. Quick bit of of motorsport. Uh, And I'm only bringing this to attention because I think uh, our listeners might be interested in, but there is a new race series been developed by uh, Motorsport UK, which has been aimed at trying to encourage more people to get involved in motorsport. So they're trying to keep it as accessible as possible for everyone. So it's called the Streetcar Series. And what it means is you can use your own daily driver your uh, unmodified daily driver yes unmodified that's what it is to take part in a variety of events uh, including auto test trials and rallying what you need to do to compete is you'll need the free motorsport uk rs clubman license mm-hmm. obviously as alan's just said the unmodified road car you won't need a roll cage but you might need a helmet for certain events this haggerty article tells us There are so far a few of the uh, racing clubs, English racing clubs, uh, eight of them, 
have signed up and are involved in this. Northern Irish, Scottish and Welsh clubs have yet to be announced, but I think it sounds a really interesting gateway into it. Uh, right off the bo- box, Rally seems to have the most activities, which is a little bit scary. But the auto test should be very similar to Toyota's Parallel Pomeroy Trophy. So uh, so there's a good place to start if you're interested in that kind of thing and, and see what might be possible. Next year, you possibly could have got, uh, if you're back, Alan, you can get points for your dry, your racing license. Okay. Oh, that'd be good. I don't know if that's how it's going to work. <laughs> I have no idea either. No, no. <laughs> I'm sure Toyota will be investigating, tying in with someone if sure they can. They'll be running away and hiding from that, yeah. yeah. Do you want to take us to new, new car news that we start not with a car? So this is it's very loose this week, I'm afraid, everyone. Uh, yes, so it's new, new armoured vehicle news uh, with the <laughs> Plasan Wilder. Uh, many of you will know that friend of the show, Nia Khan, someone do. I quite enjoy having a pipe with on the rare occasions we're in the same place at the same time and also is a regular on Zoom Zoomers. Uh, then, yes, he's Plasan's, uh, essentially Plasan's head of design. The latest thing to be unveiled is a new small armoured vehicle. And when we say small, I mean about the same size as a Jeep Wrangler. Well, an unlimited, so the, the long wheelbase one, uh, which can seat four in full appropriate armoured dress and has a pickup space at the back as well, as well as all sorts of modular areas for mounting things uh, on. Yeah, it's super cool. Uh, it's uh, It's got it's a hybrid powertrain. I've now had a mental blank at that. It can be driven by someone in it, it, it or it can uh, optionally uh, be remotely controlled as well. So it can operate without a driver in the vehicle. Mm-hmm. All sorts of cool stuff. There's other, there are another couple of things which Nia's sort of sneaky showed before, which are the ATEM, uh, which is the all-terrain electric mission module, which is essentially a trailer, which has an electric motor uh, and batteries. Mm. Uh, so it can power itself. And then you can plug two of them together. And hey, all of a sudden it's got four wheels. It, it steers uh, and it powers itself. And you end up with a little uh, sort of autonomous autonomous vehicle made of, made of two trailers. And when they're a trailer attached to the back of a vehicle, then they can push it along and be self-driven and all sorts of cool stuff. So lots of clever stuff at Eurosatori. Really well worth a, um, worth a look at. Well, there's the Autocar article linked uh, in the show notes there. There's also a YouTube video uh, linked cool. as well. There's a YouTube video as well. Uh, yeah. Whenever I was first shown this, it was ages ago and there were just a couple of pictures. Um, but it's it's very, very neat and compact and just so clever. Yes, it is very clever. I'm waiting for the civilian model so I can test it uh, with the Crack Windscreen family. I also yes. note, uh, and as everyone should remember, that we know it's a, a near-designed vehicle because the windows follow you around the room. Um, oh, a copy of which will be coming to a coming to the cinema screen near you. Yes, quite. But it really does look cool. And watching the the video and seeing it in motion and with the trailer and everything, it. I am no military expert, obviously, but it does seem to tick a lot of boxes when it comes to adaptability, small footprint, and 
ability to go to a lot of places quite quickly. We've already included one of Neil's sneak peeks to this as a lunchtime read uh, in have. the past, which was his thing about going right back to basics. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what would happen if we went right back to basics in, in military vehicle design? Because the original Jeep was meant to be small, carry a couple of people, and some load. Uh, and then now, I'm just, the I'm just years, asking you a question grown, here, grown, Yeah. Would you prefer a Willis Jeep to hurtle around the battlefield or one of these? One of I these. think I know. <laughs> there we go. There we go. That took a lot of thought, didn't it? Yeah. Uh, but you know, you know, it's 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 going back to right. What were the original requirements? Because especially in uh, in military, in military terms, uh, then requirements do tend to evolve a lot over time. In that we want that plus 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 plus. Oh, nobody ever scope says scope creep yeah, must be ridiculous. And nobody ever says, well, we don't want that bit anymore. So you just end up with all these requirements, many of which don't really matter anymore. Mm. And this was an exercise in going back to, right, what's the core of this? Yeah, I think it's very, I think I love the idea behind it. I love the the way that uh, Nears approached it with the engineers and everything. Uh, And I think it looks really cool. I mean, there's, I'm blown away by the amount of glass there is up front for the driver Mm. to look out. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, it's yeah. much better than a lot of cars we have today. <laughs> well, yes, this is very true. <laughs> uh, anyway, shall we move to something completely different, Andrew? Yes, let's go back in time, but to the future. Uh, and a Porsche 928 Resto mod by Nardone Automotive. It is their reimagining of a 928. I'll get this out of the way. I think it looks fabulous. I think it looks. I think it looks good. But I'd prefer an original. I'd prefer an S4 GTS, for example. I would happily take either. Probably more realistic to aim at an original rather than Mm. this from the price point of view. But I really like what they've done. They've still kept it really quite clean. I I think they've missed out on two of the key things about the interior that are really important in a a 928. Go on then, what's that? The first of which is that the instrument binnacle should move up and down with the steering column. Uh, yes, that is. Which a- was one of the key reasons I ended up buying an Infinity G37S, by the way, it was because the instruments moved with the steering column like a 928. And the other one is that the interior there is far too tan. Uh, it needs to be more interesting seat fabric. It's, I'm surprised it's not burgundy on the inside. I uh, guess a little bit too. Yeah. 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 But I like that they've generally sympathetically dealt with the topic and i love the fact they've taken a nine to eight i am being a fussy nerd yes they have so much better than well that delorean uh and (laughs) and many others i mean we've seen a lot of 911s and so many of them have been done well don't get me wrong i mean the way singer attack things is phenomenal the amount of i wanted to buy a 964 and they've all been eaten up by all these people trying to make them look like older things (laughs) <laughs> I really like this a lot. It'd be interesting to check out with Graham Easton and see whether this might be a 928 he'd be prepared to to live I, with at all. <laughs> I think that's unlikely. <laughs> that's just uh, 928ism, that is. Mm-hmm. Only because he's owned one and it was awfully expensive. Yes, yes, yes. He's still traumatised by it. Uh, one last new, 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 new car that was, that was announced this week was the Lada Granta Classic. Which is essentially a car with no input from outside of Russia. Uh, unfortunately, uh, because we're outside of Russia, 
the spec is so basic that it doesn't even include something that a podcast can talk about. But naturally, it's better than any of the larders I've gone before, obviously. Yes, quite. Because of those. Yes. <sighs> Sigh. Right, I'm going to take us to the lunchtime read and something much more positive. Uh, and another one from Design Field Trip. And this is called The Surge. And they're talking about the... Well, they're talking too. Well, yes. But they are talking about the Renault Megane Mark II and how it is one of the rare vehicles, mainstream vehicles, that, that you know aimed at mass market that actually was quite groundbreaking and what mm-hmm. it meant to Renault itself as a company, not just in the, the importance of the model, but what the design meant to Renault and how it, whilst capturing parts of Renault, but also moving it forward as, mm-hmm. as a company and not just being like a standalone thing. It was a much more in, trying to be, or is seen as a much more inclusive model across mm-hmm. the, uh, for the whole company. So I really do recommend you read this because it's, it's some brilliant insight. Uh, yes. Uh, it was groundbreaking. It, it divided opinion. But it was also phenomenally successful for the company as well. Yeah. Very yeah. successful model. Uh, this article, by the way, is worth looking at, uh, particularly for pictures of the original scenic concept uh, and, of course, the the Velsatis concept as well, which is just beautiful. Mm. Yep. Always loved it. Absolutely. List of the week this week isn't just a list of the week. It's better than the list of the week because it is a major gav list of the week. Yes. Uh, and that means 10 strange seating arrangements that left us uncomfortably numb. <laughs> <laughs> there was a genesis of an idea somewhere in there. Yeah, uh, there's, there's a, there are 10 crackers here, obviously. Uh, they're not the first ones that you would immediately think of. And the captions and summaries are up to the level that we would expect from Gav. Andrew, do you have a particular favourite? I do but not for the reasons in the text underneath it. I just think it's an incredibly clever, interesting execution of an idea, and that's the Honda S-MX. Oh, okay. Yes. Not that I'd want it for the reason that's highlighted in the in the article. <laughs> that doesn't interest me. But I, I think it's a really clever, clever bit yeah. of packaging. Uh, so if you can't remember what an S over an MX looks like, uh, remember Ian Seabrook, uh, have not vids had one in black with orange wheels yeah one of my favorite most jdm pictures ever actually is is my Veracross jump starting helping jump start uh his smx actually at, at uh at jab show at silverson a few years ago so yes it's a very very cool car i do actually i really like them not just for the reasons there but i, I do think it's pretty cool but that sort of whole all the seats fold down to a double bed is quite a popular idea on some Japanese cars for quite a long time for the reasons outlined in the article. Yes. That's why many Japanese cars like that have curtains. Mm. Mm-hmm. And finally then, <laughs> I've yes. got to move on from that somehow. Yes. Got to move on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the and finally is once again from Haggerty as well. It should have been called the Haggerty Show this week. Uh, really should, it, yeah. it is talking, uh, an article interviewing Johnny Ambrose, who is uh, a sculptor, but he's a sculptor that focuses obviously on automotive, which is why we have got this uh, highlighted here and Haggerty have spoken to him. But he uses a wide variety of materials, one of which, though, that he always tries to incorporate 
within his sculptures is wood. Uh, sometimes you may not even see it, but the, it is a stunning array of work that's pictured here. And it's just a fascinating approach because he he says that he doesn't want to just do the same thing over and over again. He wants to keep exploring and pushing himself, which I admire in someone creative. I mean, as creative as this as well, uh, in the way that they, they go about things. Because if you look at some of these, you wouldn't think it was the same person looking mm. at the execution through the material and everything. Um, because he he does it is just it just looks glorious work. Yes, well, compare the sort of nine one seven K to the Morgan, or even the BMW BMW CSL Batmobile. Yeah, um, just they're all glorious, really cool, really love them. Nice yes. stuff. Well, Absolutely. well worth a little look. That one. Yep. Parish notes this week. Uh, there's not a lot. Move conference, you're going to have to get the finger out, folks, uh, if you want to come along to that. We'll be that's about it, I think, for parish notes for this week. Yes, yeah. yes, it is. Okay, cool. Uh, that only means that to remind you that between now and next week, you can give us any feedback, share your thoughts of the show at Motoring Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, on Facebook, and on the contact page of motoringpodcast.com, the hub of all our activities. Uh, remember, you can support us financially via Patreon and please leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing. Andrew, in the meantime, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Best way to get in touch with me is via the contact page of motionpodcast.com because I'm not on Twitter at the moment. And Alan, if people would like to get in touch with you personally, what's the best way for them to do that? I am on Twitter at the moment, as ever, where I'm at AJP Bradley. That's B-R-A-D-L-E-Y. We'll be back very soon, but until then, I've been Alan Bradley. I've been Andrew Clues. And safe motoring.